Are dents and scratches putting a dent in your day? Introducing Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide, your trusted solution for automotive woes. With over two decades of expertise, Rogerstein Crash Repairs guarantees top-notch service, restoring your vehicle to its former glory in no time. From minor dings to major collisions, our skilled technicians handle it all with precision and care using state-of-the-art equipment and techniques. Rogerstein Crash Repairs saved my car. It looks brand new. Fast, friendly and reliable. I wouldn't trust anyone else with my vehicle. Don't let accidents slow you down. Visit Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide at 14 Penner Avenue, Glind for quality service you can count on. And here's a special offer just for our listeners. Mention this podcast and receive a $100 discount on your repair. Roger Steen Crash Repairs Adelaide. Excellence in every repair. Previously, Previously. on the Game On Podcast. Um, Gold Coast GWS. Oh, GWS got to be around the mark. Yep. I really like what I saw out of them. Um, with Kingsley as a coach now, I, I've sort of got a bit of a soft spot for them. Mm-hmm. Um, Toby Green's an outstanding leader. Outstanding. Probably one of the best captains in, in the league at yep. the moment. Yep. Um, yeah, I think they've got to be top four, I would say. They're in the same boat as me with Carlton. I'm hoping they don't have a drop-off, yeah. and I hope that they remain competitive because they were exciting, especially in those finals. Yeah. I know I shouldn't rub salt into the wounds, but they did get Port Adelaide. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I think they're around the mark. And then, obviously, Gold Coast with the Hardwick factor. I think it's going to be at least 12 months before we see the, the fruits of that labour. Yeah, can't see him making the eight, I don't think. Um, I agree with you there, Pete. Uh, Time he gets everything settled, players settled in, yep. new players. They've got a lot of good young lads. It's going to take them 12 months to yep. settle in. And I think that's expectation once again. We're all seeing Hardwick going in there and going, oh, my God, they're going to be mm. the next three-peat team and they're going to be fantastic and they've got all these draft picks and they've got all these concessions and so on. But I think, yeah, they're at yep. least 12 months from yep. that. Absolutely. Sportscast SA presents Game On. Game On. South Australia's destination for everything sports. Local, national, and international sports. AFL football, soccer, basketball, golf, baseball, tennis, cricket, and any other sports played in this wide world. And we're going to have a blast doing it. So sit back, relax, and let's do this thing. Welcome to Game On. Welcome to Game On. My name's Pete, and guess who is back? Malcolm, welcome back, mate, and thank you to Phil for filling in for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, appreciated, Phil. Um, yeah, not, not the best couple of weeks, but that's life. Um, yeah, listen to the show last week, I... I admit I'm probably not quite as hard on Steve on Steve Smith personally. Yes. You know, if he'd received just a fraction of middle order support from either Head Carey or Marsh, yep. whatever we get home. So I, I'm not quite as hard on him as that. But I understand where you're com- coming from. Yep. I do think though it shows where Australian cricket is at now. 
the fact that he did go up to open because they wanted to get Green in the side, and I get that. Yes. You know, as a lover of shield cricket, Green, I rate Green. Yep. But it's not like there's numbers bashing the door down. Like years ago, there was Lord, Divanuto, Cox, Siddons, Bevan, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Dean Jones. You know, the, every state had two or three players in it. You go, well, they could easily be in the test site. Absolutely. You know. Well, welcome back, mate. Uh, good yes. to see you back on the Thanks, uh, on the right side of the uh, sick list. But um, yes. we're going to tee off a little bit on the cricket a little bit later. We, were, yep. uh, but that's a, a good start to uh, to get us underway today. So let's get into around the grounds. Around the grounds. All right, today we're going to talk some tennis, some SNFL, some soccer, uh, past players, past legend for today. I've been looking forward to this one. Rachel Spawn, so looking forward to speaking to her a little bit later. But as per usual, mate, let's get kick off with the AFL. We've uh, we've got a lot to talk about uh, over the last couple of weeks with you not being here. Phil, obviously, being a port man, yep. so balancing things out very, very nicely there. But let's start loosely, off... You, you, loosely <laughs> using that word, balance. Yeah. Nah, fair call. Uh, let's start off with Adelaide. It looks like Mark Bickley is going to return to Adelaide in an official role. Yeah, I like that. Bix is the voice of reason. You know, he's actually called that for yes, because it's exactly what he is. Yep. And, yeah, professional. As you said, we've had him – lucky enough to have had him on the show. Uh, he's a person I respect enormously. Absolutely. I think it can only be a good thing. Obviously, the uh, role was vacated by Sam Jacobs, who has obviously yep. now moved on to be uh, SNFL uh, league coach at, yep. uh, at Woodville West Torrance. So we wish him – the best of luck there in that role, except for when they play Nord, of course. Exactly. Um, but also wish Bix uh, all the best there for uh, his new role, and I think that is a perfect fit for the yep. Crows. Yep. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to Port Adelaide. Port Adelaide has the youngest captain in the AFL. How do we sort of see this affecting his performance on field a little bit? Because it is a big role. Yeah, but I think it's more the role off field, and that's why clubs have co-captains. You know, it's not like cricket where the captain makes the decision. Clubs have co-captains because there's so many coterie functions they've got to be at and all that. That's why they do it. So that's why I'm quite a fan of Mm -hmm. co-captains. It's just tradition to have only one. But I actually see the value in that way. I don't think it'll affect him at all. He's a gun. I I think Horn France is hitting the the track fully fit. I think that's more the scary option. Yeah, absolutely. And those three together, they are the dynamic. The dynamic trio, I think they're the most exciting threesome together in the competition in the midfield. So, yeah, we just won't see. Now, we've talked previously about Bokey uh, remaining, obviously, at the club this year. Is it a opportunity for uh, Connor to sort of tap into some of his resources and helping out with a bit of a sounding board? We, we obviously oh, talked. He'll do that. Yeah. yeah, he'll do that. He's, you know, Unfortunately, we saw in, against against us in 18 how mature he was. I remember I knew how good this kid was. Yep. Um, I think he's, he was always going to end up – him captaining an AFL club is no surprise whatsoever. Yep. So. Yep. Uh, obviously, Port Adelaide opening their new centre down at Albert and Oval. Yes. Looks very, very impressive. Yeah, I did actually good. watch the uh, – the progress uh, video um, advertisement or, or yep. uh, promotion that they put out as to when it started out as uh, the old concrete concourse yeah. uh, dug out and, and club extended. And, yeah, it's a fair facility. I mean, we're, we're sport for choice here in Adelaide, obviously, when it comes to facilities. And I really look forward to seeing Adelaide's turn now at uh, getting their um, opportunity yeah. at Thebiton and seeing what they can build. But, yeah, AFL's really taken to another level and, 
Port Adelaide yes. have done it better than most, and, and congratulations to them. Uh, it does. It does look fantastic as much as, uh, you know, we might bag Port and all that, yep. but in, that, in fairness, it does look brilliant. Yep. Superb. And uh, obviously, these kind of facilities help attract players, so... Could only be a good thing and well done to Koshi and the team there. On a bit of a side note, Warren Treadray, the new board member after a pretty close election with yeah, Bruce close. Abernathy. Yeah, 199 yeah. votes, they're saying. Yeah, and um, there was over 10,000 votes cast, which is a huge number of votes cast. Um, there's been a bit of criticism about the way Port did it, that they were both restricted to 250 words. Yeah, it probably could have been a little bit better, but I think there's also a little bit of... Uh, an article on the mongrel punt, a little bit naive about what goes on and probably mm-hmm. a bit of a lack of research there, if I'm really being honest. Yep. But, yeah, I, I don't agree completely that it's the Hinkley versus, no, yeah, Hinkley. I think they're both pretty pretty well-respected yep. around the trap. Absolutely. And that is one area I vehemently disagree with Warren, but we won't worry about that. Yep. Yeah. Just wait, see. Uh, obviously, having a, a club legend, I suppose, come back into the fold can only be a good thing. We, we did talk about Mark Bickley a little bit earlier yeah. coming back on. So, look, these things can be positive. Um, I did hear an interview with Treadray sort of saying that, you know, he, he is going to be that voice of reason, I suppose, and, and give an alternative point of view. Do they have to agree? Absolutely not. No. Do, do, they, do they want to see those differences in opinion to make that club better? Absolutely. And I think that's only a good thing. So... Yeah, fantastic and correct. congratulations, obviously, to Warren on that uh, that front. Well, the last thing you want on a board is just all people agreeing and yes, men. Yeah. That, that doesn't get you anywhere anyway. Yep, absolutely. All right, we'll stay with the AFL. Uh, something interesting came across, that, uh, across the table yesterday was players who have played 100 games for your club. What do we look at as the sweet spot? Because Adelaide have got eight players currently with 100 games plus, and we'll go down to Port Adelaide, which has 12 uh, Brisbane have 18 and Geelong have 18 as well. Um, yeah, where does that sort of leave you? I mean, where Adelaide's at at the moment with only having eight players above 100 games, I think a credit to what they're doing at the moment and vice versa with Brisbane having one of the most experienced lists yeah. making grand final last year has to put them up there with, you know, sort of being favourites this year. Such a fine line though. It's a ruthless game. Like, you think of Tyson Edwards where... The game caught up and raced past him just so quickly. Yes. Virtually in a blink. And it, it can happen to that older player. And you know, it's interesting with how many older players both Collingwood and Geelong have got, whether that'll happen. We've just got to wait and see. I think teams are a lot smarter nowadays with their training and that, and that they back off for the older guys. Yep. And I think there's a bit more... Science behind so, yeah, it. Yep. Yeah, so I think... It, they're smarter, and that's helped. And you know, like someone like Isaac Smith kept going, and like you know, Geelong got very good service out of him when you would have thought he was nearly at the end at Hawthorne, and then yes. instead, you know, another four or five years later. So uh, we've progressed. You just got to wait and see. I, I think around a hundred games is the correct mark, is the good mark. But also, you know, it can be someone like a Max Michelani. Yes. Now the rate of him of improvement from the year before where, again, I think it's such a prick of a year in some regards mm-hmm. that you, you think he's he's Nord, he's SA under-18s, he's Crows Academy, yep. he's Ross Trevor. So he's got 8 million bosses. So no wonder no wonder Jack Hurd's having to try and teach him in a first semi of Nord's defensive structures because he's getting mixed up. Yep. All of a sudden, one boss, everyone goes away, he goes, now, you know, 
I think he'll just keep improving. He's only played 20-odd now. Yep. I think for him, 50 is going to be enough, and away he goes. You know, I think he is a future Ben Hart sort of thing. So You're right. It is a fine line between yeah. pleasure and pain. Uh, obviously, Jay Griffin. <laughs> obviously, like we said there, Brisbane with 18, uh, Melbourne with 17, the Bulldogs with 17 as well, uh, and Geelong with 18. So... I think the sweet spot's probably around about having on your list around about 13, 12 to 13, 100 games plus. But it's a little bit of a, for, for Adelaide, we'll talk Adelaide first, I think it's a little bit of a rewind to the future in 97, 98, where they did have that group of really experienced players and they did have that youth coming through, like an Edwards McLeod, a Goodwin, Johnson, um, you know, players like that. It's almost feeling like that once again. Yeah, and it's a, it's a, again, it's it's a bit of guesswork. You're going to know that Simon Goodwin in his in his tenth game is a premiership player. Yeah, but not only that, you're not knowing at that stage how footy smart he was. Yep. Ironically, those of us because he played cricket for Paynham, we're looking at our back at your back window now. Yep. Those of us who were around knew how knew how sports smart he was. So it wasn't a total, but. For the footy part, overall person, you mm-hmm. weren't expecting this mature kid to go to the exact spot. In a grand final, to be put in the middle yes. in your 10th game <laughs> yep. is incredible, really. Yep. Yeah, so Jarman goes to bounce, goes to full forward. Goodwin starts at the back of the square. So not only that, he understood the, exactly what he was meant to do. Now, a lot of kids would have would have scrambled him in a grand final where Simon knew exactly what he was doing. So, And Kane Johnson... You know, did the job on Harvey at the age of 19. Yep. So you just don't know. Absolutely. AFL's obviously changed quite a bit since yeah. then and, and yeah. Port Adelaide obviously with 12 players above 100 games. But obviously they brought in some players this yeah. year as well. So you have to sort of preface that and go, gee, they've got great talent at the end. Uh, sorry, at the beginning with Horn Francis and yep. Rosie Butters, you know, who are starting to get up there in games. But they've also got the experience of, say, Bokey Wines, uh, you know, Radigalia you know, coming in, Alir Alir. So I, I think, think they've got their balance pretty good too. I think it's fascinating with Port, where it'll go, Soldo versus Sweet. Like, normally if, if they've recruited two Ruckman, normally one's the pretty obvious one and the other one's the backup in the sample. Yep, yep. And if the injury case, with those two, I don't think there is. I think they'd be absolutely flat out, both of them, be building the crap out of each other. Yep. Trying to get the number one spot. Port Adelaide's obviously blessed with tools. That's really where they're at. I mean, you have a look at their forward line. I mean, Finlayson. Uh, Ollie Lord. Yes, Lord, Marshall, Dixon. Oh, and coming back from injury from that he did his knee, coming back from his Rico, the Western Australian. Mitch Georgiatis coming back. Yes. You know, um, so I think there's there's a lot of competing for the, the tall forwards. I, the other fascinating thing is how Radigalia and Aurelia are going to work together. That they're both well, and so are most players best off in the plus one role. Yes, no one really wants to stand an opponent. <laughs> no, no. no, so it's going to be interesting to see how that works. Uh, Thatcher from Essendon, how he fits in. So I think there's a lot of questions, but if it clicks. It's going to be very, very good for Port Adelaide. Come back to the dynamic trio. Yep, absolutely. Um, Yeah, good luck there. And as I said, there's that sweet spots around about, I think, around about 12, 13, 
100 plus game players yep. and I think Port Adelaide are right in that at the moment as we've talked about previously we think they're in their sweet spot and we wish him the best. All right, uh, who's the one? This is another one that sort of came across the list here yeah. this week. Is who's the one player currently playing at another club that you would love? Patrick Dangerfield. Right. Yep. <laughs> I am a massive Dangerfield yep. fan. Dangerfield would still be here. I think the Crows would have another premiership at least in seventeen. Yep. Um, yeah. I, he's a superstar. Fair, fair enough. Mine's probably Charlie Cameron for the yeah. for the Crows. Port Adelaide was a little bit harder. Um, who do you who do you throw up? Because I think Port Adelaide have got their trades right in that most of the players they've either traded out and traded in for them have become useful for Port Adelaide, but yeah. not so useful for other teams. Yeah, there's no one's really... Impey, maybe? Yeah, but there's no one really smashed them the other way. Like, Wingard certainly hasn't. Yep. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Like, we'll, we'll leave that one on the yeah. question mark list and might we, we might circle back to that one next mm. week a little bit and... Yeah, see what we think. All right, let's move on to cricket, mate. This is where it's all at. Uh, glad to have you back in commentating on the cricket. But where is the state of cricket at the moment? Because I'm a little bit worried. But we Mas- talk massive worry. Yeah, it's a huge worry. Unless Australia, India, and England yep. support the other nations, as Tim May spoke about, and all the best to Tim. I did message him today, and yeah, keep fighting, Maisie. Yep. Um. So we just need out of the out of that. Unless they see that whole picture, the last thing we want to have is only three countries playing test cricket. Mm-hmm. So there's got to be some realisation where it fits and, and all that. And for, for me as an outsider, it does look like it's a bit of a hodgepodge at the moment and everybody wants their slice of the pie. And you have mentioned previously, obviously, in the India providing, you know, 78 cents in every dollar. dollar. Uh, you know, that, that that's great for the game and great for India, but it's not great for the overall world of well, cricket. Well, you've got the absolute farcical situation at the moment that India have bankrolled the 2020 league in South Africa and the test players, the players aren't allowed to play in the test side. So we've currently virtually got a third side. There was one player who was set to make his test day debut who got recalled back to South Africa as he was a replacement player to make up the numbers in the 2020 franchise. <laughs> so it's completely around the wrong way. Yep. And that's Indian money. So unless the country see the overall picture... World cricket, it is a massive worry. And I'm a cricket moron. And hence the reason why I I left it on the sheet. We did talk about it with Phil last week, but I really wanted to get your point of view on it. Is it a case, and and this could be sort of adapted to a lot of sports, but I think tennis have sort of got it right where they have their grand slams and that two weeks is blocked off just for that grand slam. And that's the big thing. Is something like that could happen with with cricket in that these – two weeks or three weeks periods are blocked off just for test cricket and there are no 2020s going on. It sounds great in theory. Yes. The problem is Northern Hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere, where the time to block off is totally different, obviously. Yep. yep. So unless they work together a hell of a lot more than what they are at the moment. But yeah. isn't the, the, the goal to have it obviously on you know TV, you know streaming as much as possible, is it a case of that, you know, your, your first tier could be in that 
uh, again, I refer back to probably the tennis scenario where your top hundred and what is it, hundred and twenty players are uh, automatically directly entered into a Grand Slam. Uh, is it a case of that the top nations? Those are the four or five periods that is blocked off just for Test cricket, and then the the sort of second tier, third tier is playing sort of in that time. I mean, the I'm worry, just trying to balance it. That's the all. worry is the multi, multi, multi million, billion dollar billion, yep. Indian businessmen yep. who control it effectively. They control world cricket. And I don't think, I'm not sure they really care. It's all in the bank balance and and all that. So, yeah. I mean, for me, I would rather have players coming to your tournaments fresh oh. rather than basically being exhausted by, you know, basically playing test match cricket one day and then having to back up two so, days later for a T20. For me, the twenty twenty, like if the strikers win, they win. They lose, they lose. Yep. Like when they won the tournament, sitting with Mark Robinson, it was oh, okay, see ya. Yep. I'm sorry, South Australia win the shield. I'm I'm oh. I'm out and about for a month. I was about to say we have to take this on the road if uh, oh. South Australia win the shield. We'll have to follow you wherever yeah. you go with all of the players, which would be not a bad thing actually. Yeah. Uh, all right, um, uh, Australia in the under nineteens had a bit of a triumph against yeah. India, which is fantastic. Haven't won it since two thousand and ten. Yeah, yep, two thousand and ten. Mitch Mitch Marsh and Hazelwood both played in that side. Yep, uh, Mitch Marsh was captain. Um, so yeah, pleasing performance. Um, interestingly enough, by Hard Singh. A lad who came to live in Australia quite young from India. Yes. Who top scored. So, bit of, bit of irony, irony there. there. Yep. Um, but yeah, a couple of quicks in the side show a fair bit of promise. Absolutely. Um, calling themselves the Cartel and, and McMillan, three for 15 in the final. Uh, Peak, a son of former Victorian player Clinton Peak. Yep. Yeah. He show, he looked good as well. So yeah, there's some promise there, and you know, let's be honest, those guys will be pushing pretty quickly for shield shield performances. You would think. Yep. So yeah, it's a good result. Absolutely. All right, mate. This is what you've been waiting for. Um, I did leave this one again on the run sheet from last week, but once again this week, something weird has happened on a cricket field, and weird things continues to happen. Just run us through your uh, beef at the moment, the rule book rant. Okay, let's go. Let's start off on the sensible side of it in terms of every sport has weird rules and laws in it, and nothing happens to them yep. until they're exposed. Yep. E.g., Greg Chappell knowing that the underarm was still legal. Now, if Greg Chappell that hadn't been bold back then, you know what? The law would still be in the game because no one would have picked it. So, because Greg Chappell knew that rule, it then goes out. Kerry, Bairstow, yep. classic example, yes. Yeah, but that was just done by Bairstow. Yes. Yep, but the, this, in terms of the laws of the game, require one player to inquire whether the batsman is out. That's it. That's the law of cricket. Yep. Now, you do not know whether the guy at third man has appealed. The umpire didn't know where he was positioned, whether... Spence Johnson, whether that's an appeal yes. or not. Now, now we're obviously you know, talking that's debatable. Yes. Now we're obviously talking yep. about the Australia West Indies T yep. Twenty game here in Adelaide. Now, my personal opinion yep. out of it. Yep. Disgraceful umpiring. It's Kath and Kim umpiring. It's look at me, look at me, look at me stuff. Out of that, 
the common sense thing was he either gives it out, run out, or, or, he, or he goes to the referral. He goes to the referral, no one says a word, and it's given, um, it's given out, right? No one would have said a word. Now, he decides that there's no, no, no appeal in terms of but ha- Jared, Jared Abood, right? So yep. he decides that out of that, there's no appeal. Now, internally... Within cricket at the moment, it's being said for goodness' sake, bizarre umpiring, rara. But the public line is no, the umpire has done the right; it's the correct because he didn't hear an appeal. Where privately, that's not being said. Yes, and I just can't. I can't understand players not appealing. I mean, yeah. it was a direct hit. Oh. Someone somewhere no, no, he, on the field. Johnson has to, took the bails. Uh, sorry, no, yes, yeah, Johnson sorry. took the bails. You're off. right. But out of that, and David made the point that he appealed. Now, I'm sorry, for mine, it's just it was unnecessary by the umpire. We've got it now that you go to the third umpire and all that for for everything, run-outs and stumpings mm-hmm. to prove it's out. So why have we still got this archaic rule that you must appeal? Jared, I'm sorry, he's a barrister by by his work. Yes. And I think that showed it lacked. Common sense. Common sense, yeah. Appalling umpiring for mine. Mate, uh, we did talk about a few other weird things, the ball hitting the stump and rotating the bail yeah. almost 360. I think we've seen it all in the last six months, eight months as far as cricket goes. It's really exposed a few of those rules that the average cricket punter wouldn't have known. Yeah, look, I, I think the bails, you know, we like the bit of them Lighting flashing up. Yeah. and all that, but we like that. But I'm sorry, is it really necessary? Yep. No. And the weight in them... Therefore, of that is makes it harder to come off. I just think it's over the top. Yep. Let's go back right. Look, again. It's, it's for TV. Yep. Um, obviously, the one day series and the T Twenty series, but a few new faces, which is good for the Australian cricket team. But Fraser McGurk seems to be the one that everyone's talking about. Ricky Ponting's given him yeah. some pretty high, high praise. Is yeah. it a little too early? Oh, massive too early. He averages twenty four in first class cricket at the moment. I'm sorry. I want to see him go out and bat for South Australia and bat smart. Mm-hmm. First game of the year, he's caught on the long-on boundary yep. at, tw- at two minutes before lunch off Freeman's little offies for Tasmania where it was yep. just so dumb. We go to lunch at 5 for 130 first game of the year where he got 30 off 20-odd balls. Just milk it for the one. Mm-hmm. Until he starts to do that, he's made 100, and again it was off not many balls, and then he made that one that one day hundred off yep. stuff all, and I think that's still a thing. He's trying to bash shit out of every single ball. I want to see him go out there and bat and construct an innings and actually learn his game. At the moment, I don't think he understands the art of batting whatsoever. He's got a lot of ability, mm-hmm. but no. I, Dizzy summed it up. I actually heard Dizzy on the radio on Sunday night about it on, on my way home. On the way home, where he said, "What." Ponting is re- really suggesting there is let's get him around the A squads and touring and all that. Get him in there and try and fast track the learning. Right. That was Jason's way of really taking what Ponting meant. And I think Dizzy's right yep. in that way. Yep. So. I'm going to throw this one at you. Do you see him as a little bit of a David Warner 2.0? No. Nope. No, not no. yet. Fair call. I was there, just, just I was there Warner. at Warner's debut where he got 72 against South Africa, against Stein, Morkel yep. and all that. And I'm sorry, 
That's a hell of a lot better than what the West Indies at the moment. Yep. Like we had the Farskill game in Canberra where you and you know, Phil spoke about it. Like where Australia got the runs in six point five overs yeah. now. Why in the hell they didn't therefore go right? There's a twenty twenty game on now because of the poor punters who paid to come in after dark. Yep. It was ridiculous. Absolutely. Uh the only reason I throw up uh, David Warner 2.0 is more about the aggression and, you know, trying to take things on a little bit. I get that part of it, but as you have put it just perfectly, he just needs to learn to temper it a little bit. a lot of things to learn from yet. Fickle. All right, mate, let's take a very, very quick break. When we come back to tennis, the SNFL, the soccer, and our past players, past legends, Rachel Spawn. You're listening to the Game On Podcast. We'll be right back after this short break. All right, we continue on with the tennis. Uh, Jordan Thompson reaches the quarterfinals in Dallas, and so does James Duckworth. Yeah, a couple of promising things. A couple of journeymen and people who've been ar- players who've been around for a fair while, and good to see them still progressing. You know, um, absolutely. Well, well, Thompson, you know, by reaching the quarterfinals, is now at a career high. Yeah, which is as great. well, which he had uh, eclipsed obviously at the Australian Open, and now. Making uh, quarterfinals in Dallas has helped him sort of improve that ranking as well. Thompson had a pretty good Dallas tournament because he went on with Max Purcell and they were crowned doubles champions in Dallas as well. So it's been a pretty good week there in the US. Yeah. So I just, you know, you just want to see some – and what we want to see is Australian get up and having a real crack. Um, I think Diminor was a bit disappointing in the Australian Open. I think mentally, where you spoke about where he lacks – the you know the weapon, mm-hmm. but I'm not convinced. Me, I don't think he's a late. Yeah, late Hewitt was just so strong mentally. Yep. And ironically, we were mucking around on the weekend with a parent when a youngster played an average shot, and we said, "Yeah, you can make him walk home." And that, and he said, turned and went. I was actually there when that happened. Yep. He actually saw it yes. happen to late Hewitt. So that's a yeah. story that keeps yes. uh, growing legs. Yes. Um, obviously, I, I think Dimonor probably peaked a little bit early. I mean, he was playing yeah. some really good tennis before the Australian Open, got himself into a bit of a groove. But yeah, when it counted most, just went missing. And obviously, mm. that final set. Yeah, that was terrible. You know, you sort of scratch your head a little bit about that, and yeah. I'm sure Leighton will get him back up and going. Now, here's something. For our tennis fans, we have an Australian champion at the age of 17. Maya Joint becomes the youngest Australian to lift the ITF 75 trophy. Yeah. <laughs> Bit unlucky on the name. Yes. Um, yeah, but look, great great to see, and hopefully we've got another youngster to come through and really compete. I think she's in the top 25 at the moment in the juniors, yeah. but obviously winning uh, an ITF 75 total uh, title will obviously help her with her senior yeah, progression. Tracking. Exactly yep. right. Yep. All right, SNFL, in particular SNFLW. A few SNFL trial games have been played. Norder off, Norder off to a good start with a win against North Adelaide. Yeah, call the year off. That'll do. <laughs> so, yeah, no, no. Well done, uh well done to Mr. The Illustrious Farrells and that. Yes. So a progressive start for Absolutely. the legs and, yeah, some around the traps. So South yeah. Adelaide having a win, Glenelg having yep. a win, Woodville also having a win. Now, week two of the trial games, Centrals versus Woodville West Torrens, South v North and West v Sturt. So some interesting games and it's good to see footies just starting to get rolling around again. I know yeah. we talk about the AFL a lot. We want to talk about the SNFL, but... 
you know, we, we don't see as as much of that as we would like, but um, obviously the girls are getting off to a bit of a start and obviously a couple of warm weekends as well. Yeah. To finish us off on the SNFL, the SNFL have handed down their breaches to the Gazer Football Club for their salary cap, uh, basically recognising that there were 233 breaches. The 20th of February is D-Day for submissions for whatever the penalty could be. Could this be potentially door closing for that club? It's got to be potentially. Yeah, so it's scary. Yeah, yeah, you've got to wait and see what comes up. But, you know, it's pretty average, you know, pretty disappointing. Um, I mean, obviously we talked about this when it first broke a couple of months ago. Seems like the investigation has come up with over a couple of year period there of 233 breaches. They have pleaded not guilty to it. So it's going to be interesting to see how this one plays out. I, they've I, been found guilty. Found guilty, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. you know, I... No one do wants I to see a club close. Do I think they're the only club who breached? Oh, no, absolutely not. No. But geez, this is obviously pretty widespread, and there's obviously a fair bit of evidence there to be found guilty of 233 breaches. So let's just wait and see. Absolutely, we might comment on that one over the next couple yeah. of weeks. But no one wants to see clubs close. I just hope that there's a little bit of sanity that prevails. But you know, you want to get around that club as much as you possibly can if you're a former member and maybe help them out. But it's hard to hard to justify it, that's for sure. Yeah. All right, we move on to soccer, mate. Uh, Adelaide United were lucky to get away with a three-all draw against Perth. Look, 2-0 up after 22 <laughs> minutes, yep. and the highlights at halftime, they should have been six or seven up, and then fell away dramatically, and then luckily got the equaliser right 97th right minute, yeah. Um, I, I think... That's the problem is they're just so inconsistent. And if they put away, honestly, they as I said, could have been 6 7 nil at half yep. time. Yep. Uh, obviously, you mentioned it right there that Carl Veard in his press conference obviously uh, pointed out that the inconsistencies he needs to iron out as part of his game plan. But he does have a, a squad that's ever-changing, and that probably leads me into my next point is that Adelaide United have actually produced a couple of very, very young, good young players that are now going to get their opportunity overseas. Yeah. That's a big tick really in the big scheme of things, but at the same time, you want to be winning championships as well. So there is that fine line between pleasure and pain in progressing and, and I think making too, those players better. The, the other one was losing Goodwin. Let's be honest. Like He did very well at the World Cup. He showed he was the premier player in the A-League. So to lose him, and I think that's where, if he's around, suddenly they're a hell of a lot more consistent. Yep. Yeah. You know, Probably bank that we'd have another five to ten points. So, and that puts them probably yeah. in the top four yeah. at least. Gives them a good opportunity. Completely so. different. Uh, very, very interesting. All right, mate. Let's take another very, very quick break. When we come back, past players, past legends. Rachel Spawn. Liking this podcast? Please like, rate, and subscribe. Past players, past legends, past legends. We are privileged to have basketball royalty with us tonight. Uh, Rachel Spawn, a casual five times WNBL champions, uh, twice MVP grand final, uh, uh, twice WNBL player of the year, two times WNBL all-star, WNBL top scorer, 304 games for Australia, three years for Detroit, Australian Basketball Hall of Fame, Australian Sport Hall of Fame, OAM, uh, 
Rachel, we could keep going and going. What a privilege to have you aboard. Thanks, Rach. I oh, know. It's a pleasure to join you. Thank you for joining us, Rach. Uh, obviously, that's all we've got time for because yeah. there's plenty, <laughs> plenty of stats there for us to talk about. But uh, like with most of our guests, we like to start with where you sort of grew up and some of your juniors. But in doing a bit of research, you didn't play too much junior junior basketball. No, because um, back in the day, there wasn't really like the talent identification programs that are around now. And I was sort of, because I was country Victoria, I was six hours from Melbourne, but I was closer to South Australia, two and a half hours from Adelaide. And so, yeah, I just played in the, um, I obviously grew up in Murrayville in Victoria, but grew up, played in the Lamaru and district um, league with both netball and basketball. And yeah, I, I think we were just a little bit too rural um, to be discovered um, to play a lot of junior basketball. And yeah, there wasn't any junior programs growing up. So when I was nine, I was playing with adults. I was playing with my mum. And uh, yeah, so it wasn't until I was, I guess, 12 when I'd had a growth spurt, um, was playing the A grade. And yeah, mum and I went on won five premierships together, which was pretty special. I, I love, that's one of the things I love about in the country is that you get to play with your parents, which is pretty cool. Well, that's an incredible yeah, so. record, Rach. <laughs> something, yeah, yeah, and yeah, basketball wasn't offered all year round. It was just in summer. You know, we trained once a week, played once a week, and I grew up playing on outdoor courts. We didn't have an in- indoor gym. So, yeah, it was pretty different. Netball as well or always basketball, Rach? No, netball too because I actually started playing netball when I was seven um, because there were juniors in netball, so I could start a little bit earlier. And so loved the ritual of um, netball and football being played together. So you'd all yep. sit out as a family and it was such a wonderful outing, you know, every Saturday during winter. Absolutely love those times. Um, yeah, but I, I did love netball just as much as basketball. But, um, yeah, my bas- basketball sort of ended up finding me in a way. And, and getting to play with your mum, obviously, when you're a junior, most People love to do that as juniors, but they often come back to it when they finish their career a little bit. But isn't that fantastic that you're able to still do that? Yeah, nine. What took you so long, yeah. Rach? Come on. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, because basketball was actually introduced into our town in Marvel in 1968, the year that I was born, because a school teacher came down from Oyen and taught um, the coach at the time how to play basketball because it was a very new sport in Australia. And, yeah, so the the rules were very, very basic and training was very basic. So it, it, when I look back on it, it's, it's yeah, because we just didn't know a whole lot. I, I'd, and I'd never got to see women's basketball on TV because it, the only time I guess I saw women competing was the Olympic Games yeah. and Commonwealth Games and they just didn't – and basketball wasn't in the Olympics. Uh, well, not until 84. Um, so I just didn't see any women's basketball on TV at all growing up. And so from from there, Rach, so you, you had your growth spurt, your thing, and you've been, been spotted by a lady from West Adelaide and came down here at the age of 17 and go from there. You were, you were sort of fast-tracked pretty quickly as well. Yeah, so a wonderful lady, Beth Searle, saw me playing an association game in Bordertown and it's quite a funny story because um, she saw me play and she knew that my surname was a sport, a football surname because of dad. Yep. yep. Um, but as – so she sort of t- went back and told the West Adelaide Scouts about me and all she could remember was she's, her name's Rachel, she's tall and skinny and she's got a um, sporting a football surname. And as fate would have it, there was another Rachel who was tall and skinny and her surname was Ebert. 
So she yes. only wiped that, yeah. not me. <laughs> so, so they sort of realised, mm, not sure if this is the right recruit, and so they had to, yeah, had to come back and oh, um, and funny. then fight me down. And they wanted me to move to Adelaide um, when I was doing Year Twelve, and but I was like, no, there's no way I'm leaving home my most important year of school because yep. obviously not knowing that where bath school is going to take me. So mum would drive me down to Adelaide once a month for the toll girl clinics. That's what <laughs> they were called. So that was my first ever specialised coaching, um, you know, at the age of 17. And, yeah, 86, I moved down. So my brother Kieran was already yeah. here with West Adelaide Football Club. So that, that sort of helped. But I was very homesick. I realised I wasn't very fit and I realised I had no left hand. Didn't know how to play man to man D. I didn't have a jump shot. So thankfully I was at uni and I was able, my coach spent a lot of time with me at the time, Ted Powell, um, who sort of did fast track me and taught me how to do a jump shot and yeah, everything else. So 86 was, was pretty hard. I was a bit overwhelmed at times because it's like, oh my God, this I've got so much to learn, but thank my 17 year old self every day um, that I didn't give up and didn't quit. And so that your four years with West West Adelaide, then joined North Adelaide. And look, I will be honest, uh, I was at Nord High with Marissa Rowe and Megan Roach, so I reckon I may have come out and had a look at the odd game or two back then, Rach. <laughs> yeah, and probably because we're wearing sports briefs and oh, not Marissa even did Marissa like... did poll 15 out of 10 in the best-looking girl at Nord High as well, <laughs> yes. I may add. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised. Yes. <laughs> So you go from there, and then of course, from there, you've, you've had your grounding, went back to West Adelaide, but Adelaide Lightning are born, born, and really away you go, and away the state went too, sort of thing. You know, Adelaide Lightning were huge back then. Let's let's be honest, everyone loves a winner, and Adelaide Lightning did that consistently. Yeah, and um, I sort of look back, and I I guess I feel very fortunate that when I did move down, we still had three. National League teams in West, North and Norlunda yeah. because, you know, as a raw rookie coming down to Adelaide, I, I started playing WNBL immediately, whereas if I came to town, you know, and there's only one team, I would have struggled to, to make my bench, day through yeah. maybe yeah. for a couple of years. So I feel very fortunate I was given that opportunity. And, yeah, and, you know, we went through the years that you had to fundraise to exist. You know, I've done all the car washes, yellow page deliveries, you know, all, yes. everything that you need to do to stay afloat. So, Becoming Lightning was so wonderful because we didn't have to fundraise anymore. We were more professional. Jan Stelling was our coach. Jan was very ahead of her time with her cross-training. Um, so I think we really had so much success because we were so fit and she had us peaking at exactly the right time. And and because we had a great program, then we attracted great people. And, you know, out of the Institute of Sport, we, we got Joe Hill back. We got Jay yep. Kingy. And we got Carla Boyd, so what three amazing youngsters to come and join, um, you know, us who are a little bit older um, and, and veterans of the team. So I think it was, I was, what was it 1994? Yes, yeah, so I was yeah. uh, 20, 24, you know, when um, when Lightning was formed and, yeah, pretty amazing journey with them. How did, how did you find the transition from, say, club basketball to obviously the Lightning, uh, you know, being a little bit more national? Yeah, so I obviously was playing um, state league for Westies and our state league team was our WNBL team, which, you know, is very unique. Mm. But, yeah, the physicality, um, I guess, for me was the, the biggest thing because you know, when I played at home, you didn't, you didn't touch each other. You played zone 
and you just cut the key. And so that was a big learning for me is the physicality and the, and the, I guess the speed of the game and, in, and intensity. But I realized that I, I loved that and I loved the challenge. Um, you know, and I, I think step, <laughs> stepping over the white line just became something that I loved doing and, and yeah, and just loved the battle. And let's go to your debut for Australia, Rach. When, so when was that? And look, Let's be honest. Three hundred and four games later, it's it is an incredible career. When yes. the debut, the debut, Rach. Yeah, so eighty nine. Um, it was a pretty special year because it was the same year that Kieran made his debut with Essendon. Essendon, yep. Um, so it was pretty special for the family, and um, you know, obviously, when you you join the Opals, you have a four year plan, and the next Olympics was Barcelona. And um, you know, we've just seen the Opals qualify for Paris. Yeah, we're going to bring so, that up at the end. Yep. Yeah, I know, and I it's it's quite ironic because Brazil didn't qualify, and back in 1992 we went to the pre-Olympic tournament in Vigo in Spain because back then there was only eight women's teams yeah. in the Olympic program. There's now there's 12, so it was pretty. There were 16 nations quali- trying to qualify for four spots. That's all that was left, and I remember we won our first five games and um, we lost our sixth game in double overtime to Brazil. And we had to win our last game against Czechoslovakia and we lost by three. So that was um, that's still so visible in my mind and all of us crying in the change rooms after because I was 24. I was so ready to go to my yeah. first Olympic Games and we all just felt like we'd failed and it was so hard coming home and facing everyone. And, you know, a lot of changes were made after that. Our coach always gets the blame. He got sacked and, um, and then they appointed uh, Tom Maher. Uh, yep. We also got a new name because we weren't always the Opals, incredibly, because the men were called the Boomers. We were called the Bloomers, which was oh, awful. Right. So thank yes. God we got yes. changed to Opals. And and then they tried, you know, we got the bodysuit as well. So there was a lot yep. of changes that took place. But Tom Ma built a brand new culture. And it, I was very lucky because it was parallel with Lightning, have a lot of, lot of success. And then obviously with the Opals, and so um, appreciative of my first Olympics in 96. And, you know, we created history when we, we won the first ever Olympic medal. It was pretty amazing. Just going back a little bit of a step, uh, I know the disappointment of obviously not qualifying uh, in Barcelona there, but you got to pinch yourself a little bit, you know, young lady from, you know, country Victoria, moves her way through some South Australian basketball, playing for the Lightning, and all of a sudden you're overseas playing for Australia. Yes, all right, you didn't qualify, but gee, what an experience that would have been. And I think that's probably helped you a little bit for Atlanta, which we were just talking about. Yeah, no, the, 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 it really, I've just said, the really, Barcelona really hurt. And in between that, we actually, what was wonderful is that we hosted the World Cup in 1994, it was called Oz94. And, you know, you could see the success of um, the World Cup in Sydney in 2022. So we finished fourth at that tournament. So that gave us a lot of self-belief. And um, and then qualifications changed. There was now 12 women's teams in Atlanta Olympics, so our qualification became just through Oceania. And we've also always had the wood over New Zealand, thank goodness, in basketball. Yep. So yep. the qualification process was so much easier. It's got a harder again now because it's Asian and, and then playing against other nations. But, yeah, I'll, you know, I had to wait until I was 28 and uh, it was quite surreal, obviously, being there and it was wonderful mum and dad were there and my partner at the time. So it was, it was pretty amazing um, to experience that. And, you know, I guess, yeah, my journey 
who would have thought, you know, because my, my idol growing up was Raylene Boyle yes. because I used to see her run in the Olympics and I just wanted to be like her when I was eight years old. I saw her run and I'd, I realised I wasn't as fast as I thought running at home in the paddocks, but <laughs> at least I, I got there in another in a team game um, and in the, the sport that, you know, I think is the best game in the world. have to ask, did you do the opening ceremony at Atlanta? We did. What an experience. Um, we, it was. It was amazing, and um, we were able to because we played the second day after the the um, opening ceremony. And in Sydney, we also did the opening ceremony, even while we played the next day. Because thankfully, our coach Tom Ma said you can't miss it; you have to do yeah. it in your home nation. So that so the only time we didn't was at Athens because we played at nine a.m. the next morning, and you know it's such a big night. So you yeah. don't really get to bed till one or two a.m., and we had to be up at six. So there was no way we were ever going to be able to do it in Athens. And how about the, the thrill of winning the bronze the bronze medal uh, too, Rach? Out of Atlanta, yeah. Atlanta, yeah. Yeah, no, it was it was crazy. It was euphoric, and it, it's a really interesting one because when you win a bronze, you've won your last game, you've won a bronze medal. My next two Olympics, we won silver, but you lose yes, your final I'll match. admit, that's where I was hinting going. Yes, yeah, yeah. so it's just the craziness of that, of the difference um, of that experience. But you've actually, you've achieved better. <laughs> when, you know, you're second yeah, in the world. Yeah, it is weird, isn't silver, it? But yeah. you're crying because you lost. Um, so it's probably not until you go back into the rooms and then you realise, okay, we've won a silver, you put your podium outfit on you back out on the dais together and then you you are you are happy yeah. and you, you know, you're celebrating and unfortunately bloody usa have kept yeah. us from yeah. the top podium you know they haven't lost an olympic match since 1992 they've won the last seven gold medals they've run a ridiculous winning streak and i can't wait for someone to topple them i certainly hope it's the opals um yeah. in july august this year okay while we're there the opals qualifying thank goodness and Look, we've got to talk about Lauren Jackson uh, to come back again and now it's retired again. It's a bit of a Johnny Farnham in terms of that way. but <laughs> A comeback to her. Yeah, you know, what a, what a player she you know. Extraordinary. And, yeah. you know, I was um, lucky enough to be with Lauren on her first ever tour and it was actually in Brazil, incredibly. And um, I remember she was 16 and she'd probably only play about 10 minutes each game, but her efficient efficiency even then was off the charts and we're like yeah okay she's pretty good but I'm yeah. sure she wouldn't be able to sustain that you know over 40 minutes but how wrong were we and it ends yeah. up being the goat so yeah it was um it was wonderful for me to I guess see where from where she first started and then the superstar that she became and how important she was for us in Sydney you know as an 18 year 18 19 year old you know she's our top scorer I think second top scorer for the whole tournament and just so poised beyond her years. I think she'd have to be the most mentally tough athlete I've ever seen. You know, it can be so much going on in her life, but as soon as she steps onto the court, she's just so mentally focused. And and I think having her the pre-Olympic tournament, she's your security blanket because she's lived such big moments on the floor. And just having her in the program um, just gives everyone reassurance. And I know she would have given that in spades. Um, you know, and she didn't obviously play the last game against Serbia because she'd already qualified. And the poor thing, you know, she's her body 
she can't train a lot. She was probably having cortisone injections in her knee every day. It's it's tough. You know, her body's been put through a lot. And I know she's said publicly her, her it's her boys that she doesn't want to be away, away from and she does struggle with that. And when you're leading into an Olympic campaign, you're away a lot. Yeah. Um, so she's, you know, she's a four-time Olympian. She doesn't have to prove any more. So she's, you know, she's just got all, all that's missing from her cabinet is the Olympic gold medal, but she's got everything else. She reminds me of Shane Warne in terms of just the me- the mental toughness. Yep. In, you know, that that's my sort of, he could manage to decompartmentalise everything going on the court. And that's, you'd heard some private things Lauren was going through and then, but just still go over that white line and away she went. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, she, she, admits herself that she was a bit of a nightmare when she was young on the basketball court. Um, you know, she was hard to coach, didn't really listen, um, probably wasn't a great teammate, but, um, you know, she matured so beautifully as she got older. And um, I think the, she said the, the tournament that she enjoyed the most was the World Cup in Sydney. Uh, the culture was really great with the Opals and, and obviously they won the bronze and, you know, it was a comeback um, sort of game and tournament. And she just blew us all away. You know, hitting 30 um, in, the, in the bronze medal game was just extraordinary. So, yeah, she's – I'm glad that she was um, – I'm glad that I was – what is she, 42? I'm glad that I was 13 years older than her so she wasn't always my opponent. Because <laughs> <laughs> she was cool, yeah. the toughest, toughest opponent. I'm so glad that she was also my teammate. Yeah. Sort of remind you a little bit of uh, Kobe and – LeBron and Michael Jordan, really, when it comes to, yeah. you know, that mental toughness when it comes to the basketball court, for sure. Yeah, no, nah, absolutely. She's she's up there on her own in that regard. Obviously, you head off to Atlanta. You come back, obviously, playing for the Lightning. A uh, couple of key moments there between, say, Atlanta and Sydney for the Lightning that, you know, hold a special place in your heart? Well, obviously, when we did the three-peat, you know, mm-hmm. 94, 95, 96 were extraordinary because we, I remember we made the preliminary final in our first year as a franchise, but um, yeah, I think we lost by one point to get through the grand final. So to to dominate in the 90s like that when basketball was at the top of its game, I remember, you know, we played before the 36ers, you'd have to book three months in advance to get a ticket. It was just, yeah. it was just so great those days. And then 97, because we made the grand final five years in a row we lost in 97 and then won it again in 98 so yeah it was um you know pinching ourselves at time because and you know it's hard to stay on top because you do become the hunted and you know it did take a, a while for them to get another premiership it was 2008 and obviously you know haven't won one since so you're always searching trying to get back up there yeah. um yeah no absolutely the best of times best memories for me um playing for lightning i'd I just absolutely loved it, and um, I guess I was just so appreciative that I was in an era when Lightning was formed, and um, I got to play for them. Now, I'm reliably informed today there may have been a game where Rachel Spawn was actually struggling, and it had a poor first half, and <laughs> Jan Sterling said, I'm going to blast Rachel at half time." And I went, no, no, you can't do that to the great Rachel and all that, and Apparently, Jan may have torn strips off you. You came out, dominated 24 points in the second half and made the point to Jan afterwards. Thank you. That was exactly what I needed. <laughs> yeah, she didn't yell at me much. Yes. Um, and I know when she did, I didn't appreciate it. 
um, at the time. It was half time. It was in front of all my teammates, yes. and I was like, right, it did. It made me so angry, um, but it worked. Yeah. So, I, <laughs> but we, you know, we had a we had a very good relationship, and I didn't get too much of her wrath, I guess, over the journey. But she knew when I needed it, and she recognised that. And yeah, you know, yeah, it's, we've. I, it's funny because when mobile phones first came out. I knew, and I still remember Jan's number. I think I only know three mobile numbers that I remember, and I, I still remember Jan's. I'm a lot better than that. Because we saw each other every day. Yeah. Uh, just in terms of, though, with Jan, ahead of her time and just master coach in terms of communication and reading the right buttons, et cetera, and installing your team belief and team chemistry. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, again, she built a great culture, um, just great offences, and she just she had fantastic basketball IQ. Um, you know, knew what players to run in clutch moments when the pressure's on. She never really cracked, and she was amazing in how because she, she was our fitness person, our coach, our dietitian. She did she did everything because we didn't have the money yeah. to have people to do that for us professionally. Um, so I don't know, she just she just knew to cover everything um, that made us such a professional and fit team and, yeah, every, everyone that came into the to the program, yeah, she sort of knew what their role would be, how they would fit and, yeah, and obviously, you know, Jan went on to coach the Opals and coach me in Athens, um, you know, with the Opals, which was pretty special for both of us. Yeah, so no, our um, time together, it's been a long time, it's been a long one. Now, we'll come back to the Sydney Olympics and, and Athens a little bit more, but in between all of that, you're the second-round pick or 14th overall for Detroit. Just go through that experience once again, you know, coming from little old Adelaide and all of a sudden you're drafted into the uh, WNBA. Yeah, so um, obviously the WNBA was formed after the Atlanta Olympics, so 1997 was the first year and Michelle Timms was the only Australian selected um, in the first year because she had an amazing campaign in Atlanta. And so, yeah, we were pretty excited because she paved the way for Australians and playing in Phoenix. And then, um, yeah, so I felt very privileged to be drafted. Wasn't thrilled that I was going to Detroit. That's <laughs> not exactly. A, I was, you know, hoping to get to Seattle or New York or somewhere a little bit more exciting. But, um yeah, and, but what was great was Sandy Brongello and yeah, Carla Boyd came Boy. to Detroit as well. So having, you know, my, my teammates, um, well, Opal's teammate and, and my Lightning teammate there with me was fabulous. Yeah, look, it was it was wonderful times because you you were a professional basketballer while you were there. You didn't work. You just trained and played. You know, we played in all the NBA stadiums. I played in Madison Square Gardens, which was like, wow, how good is this? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah and, you know, you played 32 games in 70 days. So it's it's just what you love. You love doing. You're not training as much and you're playing more. Um, and the support in those early years, I think it's come back with WNBA, but, you know, they were averaging 15,000 a game. And, yeah, it was just, you know, you go on the road and you're on a nine-day road trip, whereas, you know, here you're, you're just gone for a couple of days. So. Yeah. The experience of that, I'll never forget it. Um, thankfully, at the time, the, our dollar wasn't great, so <laughs> so what you got paid, yeah. you know, my the 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 wages weren't great. Like I was on I was on thirty seven and a half thousand, getting picked up in number fourteen in the draft. That was all I was on. So it was nice, obviously, to get that in US dollars and convert that. But mm-hmm. yeah, they 
You've been I a guess, bit more than that now, Rach. Yeah. Well, they are. <laughs> yes. And, um, yeah, but, yeah, I, I, I guess um, for me, I, I look back at all the players who, you know, your Jenny Cheesemans, your Julie Nichols, your Pat Mickens, who got no money from yeah. basketball. Yeah. I feel very lucky that I came through very appreciative when we weren't getting paid and then you got a little bit of money and then it was a bit more. Um, it just, yeah, it just helped you, I guess, be more professional because you didn't have to work quite as much. It could, you know, work on your game. Now I have to ask, uh, were you, all the Australian girls, were you living together? Was there some shenanigans along the way there over in Detroit? <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we, um, we all had our own apartments and we were all in, um, sort of, I was already married. Um, so yeah, no, that not a whole lot of shenanigans. You're too tired to do. I think if we, because it was, um, I was already 30 by the time I went to the WNBA. So maybe if I was 20, 20, I I reckon you would, you would have been, you would have been amongst the votes, Rachel. Yeah. (laughs) I had to ask. Yeah, no. So it was, um, yeah, but it was just a a wonderful experience and yeah, I, I feel very, I don't know, grateful that I got to do that. You're listening to the Game On Podcast. We'll be right back after this short break. Happy Days. All right, we kick off Happy Days. Firstly, with happy birthday to you, mate. I know you weren't here... (laughs) You weren't here because yes. of COVID, but happy birthday to you for a couple of weeks ago, mate. Yeah, what a what a day to be. Yeah, let's just say I've had better birthdays. Move on. <laughs> yeah, cool. All right. We move on to Sam Berry. Happy birthday. Obviously drafted to the Crows with the 28th selection in the 2020 draft. Um, growing up in country Victoria, Berry played for the Gippsland Power. Ironical that he's with the Crows, uh, which is a bit of funny at a bit of fun at junior level. Average seventeen point seven disposals, nine point eight contested possessions, six point five tackles in ten games for the Gippsland Power. Then obviously transitioning over to Adelaide in twenty twenty one, and then obviously making his debut. Yeah, I think there's promise there, but he's got to get the ball more. I think he's became a bit too much of secondary to the ball. So he bumped up the tackle stats. Well, hang on, there's a thing to call to get the agate as well. So um, He's probably another player that you put in that needs to take another 5% yeah, step. big time. Big time. Uh, I watched him at SNFL, obviously, a few times last year. And, yep. yeah, there's well, there's a bit to work there with. There's, let's just say I hope he's had a big preseason and as quick. That extra step or two. Yep. He needs to get that extra step to get the ball. Absolutely. In 2022, Barry led the league in tackles, collecting 171 tackles for the year, over 18 games for the Crows. He had the highest average tackles per game of 9.5. So I think as part of Nix's plan, as far as almost Sydney-like, where it's nose to the grindstone and, and... and working things out, I think he's the perfect player for that. But like you've said, he just needs to take that extra step with yeah. obviously his first and second step and then obviously getting the agate as well. So we and look, the other look thing forward to it. you had for that, where Matt Crouch came back in and, and played well, if you're going to play Matt Crouch, I, I think there's enough of a question mark about playing Matt Crouch and Rory Laird together in the same midfield. 
let alone adding another mm-hmm. similar yes. player where I think they need more burst. So that's that's the question mark there. I I would I'm still not against Leah going back to half back personally, yep. but yeah, let's wait and see. Uh, obviously, Adelaide looking to put some players rotating through that midfield, so you might get your wish, mate. So we'll see how yeah. that one pans out. All right, we move on. 1882 cricket, Australian cricket opening bowlers Joey Palmer and Edwin Evans dismiss England for 133 in the second test played at the Sydney Cricket Ground. Palmer with seven for 68. Yeah, well bowled, Joey. I thought he was good that day. Got a good line and length, good pace. Well bowled, Joey. And Evans, yeah. three for 64. But I yeah, think he, he supported, but he Joey was the man. He was. Uh, yeah. England all out for 133 yeah. as well, right. so we like to see that. All right, in 2008, uh, well, tennis slash the Laureus Awards, uh, World Sports Awards in St. Petersburg, Russia. Sportsman of the Year, Roger Federer. Sportswoman of the Year, Justine Hennon from the tennis side of things. And Team of the Year was the South African Men's National Rugby Team. Went all right, that Federer bloke. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. wasn't too bad. Yeah, yeah. Could play a little bit. Yeah. So could Hennon. Yes, yes, in fairness. She was... while, we're, while we're making the mickey out of that, yes. No, Justine Hennon was very good as well. And really, in the scheme of things, petite in... Stature, yet yeah. could pack Power. a bloody punch. Yeah. So congratulations to them, obviously, in 2008. All right, we move on. 1996 NFL coaching maestro Bill Belichick is fired by the Cleveland Browns with a coaching career record of 36 and 44. Now, Belichick, obviously synonymous with the New England Patriots, only just retiring or, yeah. sorry, moving on this yeah. year. We also forget that he was also head coach at the Cleveland Browns and the win-loss record, well, wasn't great, but... He was around the mark. It wasn't, te- wasn't absolutely diabolical, though. So Absolutely. Yeah. And also, you know, Cleveland obviously being a slightly different yeah. footballing market as well. So uh, we wish Bill Belichick the best for what's to come in the coming year. We'll see how that one plans out. And just another guy who I don't think many people have heard of, but in 1973, Muhammad Ali beats British heavyweight boxing champion Joe Bugner. Uh, by unanimous, unanimous points decision in 12 rounds in Las Vegas, same as the Super Bowl. You think what Muhammad did, you know, with the with the, the protest and, yep. and all that, he, he's up there with as influential as any sporting person in history. Yeah, that's, I think that's the best way to sum it up in seriousness. Yep. I've, you know, I've made the point before on previous show, lucky enough, privileged to be at the G for the lap mm-hmm. of Muhammad Ali in 98. Yes. And... When that still really sticks in your mind of how incredible it was compared to the game, yeah. Yes. And that. I think the other one that sticks out, you know, is the Olympics, uh, you know, obviously lighting. I did actually see a uh, a documentary slash who do you think you are type set up, you know, going back through family histories and talking about everything. And Muhammad Ali was actually one of them where they were interviewing the family and it was amazing that he was actually able to do that Olympic torch because they had people off to the side not knowing whether he'd be able to hold it up yeah. long enough, yeah. whether he'd be able to obviously maintain it, and he handled it like the professional yeah. that he, he is. And it. this is why we continue to yeah. say one of the all-time greats. Yeah. So, yeah. Well said. Absolutely. Let's get into the extra big finish. Extra time. Big finish. All right, basketball. Adelaide have another big loss and basically can kiss goodnight their 2023-24 season, which we sort of thought was yeah. already there anyway. But 
they were confident that they might be able to do something, but unfortunately another big loss to Brisbane yeah. didn't help. Fell away towards, you know, where it looked like, hey, this could be incredible, rah, rah, rah. But no, it's ending with a whimper. It you know, started with a whimper, then improved, and unfortunately it's finishing with a whimper. So Two yeah. big losses to uh, Tasmania yeah. and Brisbane, Brisbane haven't yeah. helped that. Yeah. And that leaves them with New Zealand. So, And New Zealand are in some pretty good form as well yeah. at the moment. Obviously playing on the 18th at 3.30pm, I'm assuming Adelaide time or Australian Central time. So um, I'm sure that's on all of the streaming platforms. And just finishing off on the basketball, do we think Scotty Ninnis is the man for the job? How does these last couple of performances affect that? Because their win-loss record to the start of 2024 was actually pretty good, and it was like, well, maybe this might be all right, but these couple of results put a big question mark. And stalemate on contract talks for Humphreys came through yesterday, so that's not a good sign either. Yep. Probably doesn't help Scott's chances. If he came through and said, hey, I'm signing, Scotty's the man, rah, 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 that, yep. that helps him big time, yep. so... Yeah. Very, very interesting. All right, a bit of a watch and see. Uh, we'll move on to the NBL or the uh, Women's National yeah. Basketball League. But Lauren Jackson, Lauren Jackson retires once again just minutes after the Opals yeah. qualify for the Paris Olympics. Huge thing to get her out of retirement. Yeah. Qualifies, yeah. you'd want to be part of it, but obviously the body yeah. is saying enough's so, enough. Enough's enough. So, yeah, look, oh, I'm sure that we'll speak about Lauren will come up as well and we with Rachel in terms of that regard. Yep. Superstar. Can't say any more. Probably our best ever female basketball. Absolutely. All right. The NFL Super Bowl was played yesterday or Monday morning. Yeah. Uh, AFL player from Perth was obviously going yeah. for the first Australian to win the Super Bowl, but unfortunately yeah, we still don't have no, we still don't have one. No, we yeah. Second time in three years and I think the fifth player in five years, I yeah, believe. Something, like something around about that as well. Yeah. So yeah, we just can't crack it. Um but from all reports, he did his job and actually played pretty well. Mm. Uh, the Chiefs were down 10-0 but found yeah. a way to win. Mahomes, once again, at the helm. Uh, he's almost got that Brady-esque oh, about yeah. him, hasn't he? Yeah, no, he, he's a chance. He's only 28 now with the, and won three. So, yeah, he's it could well be. And he's looking for more. I mean, oh, I, yeah. heard, I heard his uh, speech afterwards going, hey, we're going we're gonna to enjoy it tonight and we're going to enjoy the week, but... We're going to get back to it, and uh, we're here for a dynasty. So it's going to be very, very interesting. But uh, in the Chiefs winning, it was the first back-to-back championship in 20 years. The last team to do it was my team, the New England Patriots. But was the main show Taylor Swift, or was she the sideshow on this occasion? Because it was a pretty big event. Yeah. It's, it's just America. <laughs> it's just different. Yeah, you know, and how many times they should have run a run a book on that, how many times they put her on the screen. So, yeah, well, it's, I'm just, sh- it's just different. I'm sure at various Super Bowl parties there was yeah, probably there drinking been. games yeah. based around how many times either no Kelsey that. got the ball or she was she flashed on the screen. screen. So um, just the way it is, uh, obviously, well done to the Chiefs on that occasion. Golf, the playoff, uh, a playoff to be decided, live golf uh, yep. season opener. Uh, it went that long that they had to play basically in darkness with a big screen lighting up the final green. And Yako Niemenem obviously outlast Sergio Garcia in the season opening live golf event. Yeah, different. Like you, that's where their time restraints and all that of compacting it sort of backfires to some some yep. regard. You know, but it, 
a hard one to say we come back tomorrow morning, <laughs> but it was probably getting towards that. Very it wasn't close far to far away from that. Uh, obviously, sinking a 12 foot birdie putt from the fringe on the fourth hole of the playoff. Hence the reason why it obviously dragged on a little bit longer. But yeah, big large screen lighting up a green, not exactly what you want. All right, to finish us off, mate, uh, the AFL rule changes. What are your thoughts on some of them? I know we've talked about Laura Keane and some of those some of those changes and her role. Do you think she's got some of them right and some of them wrong, or how are we looking at it? Oh. Look, I un- we understand on the head, we understand the, the legalities that the head's got to be desperately protected. We get that, but it's not a game that you can adjudicate against no clashes. Um I'm sorry, personally, Laura Keener, I've never heard anyone so far out of their depth yep. trying to speak, and it's it's like swallowing tadpoles. You're just cringing each time she speaks that really there's no footy nous there, and it's it's a bizarre appointment. I'm sorry. It's just... Time, yeah, will, just time will tell. Yeah, I yeah, know. Time will tell. But, you know, I just don't get it. I really don't. Yeah, fair call. Just so far out of her depth. We'll move on from that one. Just to finish off on the AFL today, um, who's the big jumper this year? There's always one team that jumps from outside the eight into the eight. Who who do we see that being? Personally, Gold Coast. Yep. Personally, I, I just think the talent on their list, the fact that they've been lucky enough to get the four kids out of the academy who would have gone in the top 20 in the draft. And, yes, I did go and watch them last year mm-hmm. here and – Walter, unfortunately, is injured. Otherwise, he would have debuted for sure in round one. And he's, he is, as Bruce McAvaney would say, special. special. Um, I just think the the talent on that list with Raul and Anderson, etc. And now Dimmer, obviously, yeah, at the helm. And I just think they can beat Richmond round one. Then they get the bonus that they've already played a game and to get Adelaide round two, both up there, they could start the year with a real kabang. For me, they're the team. So, yeah. Vice versa, who's the team that probably slides out of the eight at this stage? I admit, I don't think there's anyone really obvious. I, I do, I'm like you, I'm wondering on Melbourne with what's mm-hmm. happened off the ground. I, you know, for me, a few injuries, if 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 um, the big fellow, if Max got injured, you know, that cause, and that. I'll be honest, I hope he does because uh, young Vero uh, may well then get a chance. Yes. So I'd, I'd love that to happen and all the best out there too, Stewie. Yep. Um, big time. Uh, so, yeah, it, for me, they're the one, like, I think Sydney with what they've added with Grundy and Adams and that there, I can't see them falling. Um for me, it's probably St Kilda. Yeah, but even then, I Bulldogs. Know, they did have a lot of injuries last year. Bulldogs did make the eight. No, no, so, but I'm just know, thinking just, along the lines that they're going to be around the mark too. Yeah, yeah. I just, I think it's so hard. I honestly think at the moment there are sixteen sides who could make the eight. Yeah. I, if North Melbourne or Gold Coast made, if North Melbourne or West Coast made the eight, that would be a mammoth surprise mm-hmm. with where they're starting from. But how far yep. they were behind yep. last year. That they would, but I think the other sixteens all have a claim. So yes, I'd be a bit surprised if Richmond, a little bit surprised if Hawthorne. Yep. But I don't think again 
Hawthorne beat Collingwood last year by 11 goals at one stage. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, if they get a run with their youngsters, yep. anything's possible. Yeah. I'm with you. I think Gold Coast are probably going to be up there. I see Adelaide jumping, but realistically, they probably should have been in the eight last year. Yes, we do know that the goal umpiring thing was one factor. I think there were a number of factors that could have actually had yeah, Adelaide in the Yeah, they lost too top many away games yeah. as well. Let, let's be fair there. And they, and they stuffed up against Gold Coast by not going to Darwin earlier. That was a major cock-up. Mm-hmm. So there was some things there. It still worries me with Adelaide, the weakness in Ruck. They really need Philthorpe to take a massive stride forward. But it looks like he might be because they have been playing him a little yeah. bit more during the preseason. So hopefully there, you know, so I think there's still some big question marks of the honest battler side of yep. Adelaide. Yep. So, yeah. All right, mate, we're going to wrap that one up there. We thank Rachel Spawn for her time today. I thank you, mate, for being back in the uh, in the studio and your dulcet tones and giving it to us to both barrels today when it comes oh, to the cricket as well. Yeah, so I'm still ropeable about that. Absolutely. All right, mate, as per usual, we promise to do better next time. Thank you, mate. See you all next week. Thanks, mate. In this crazy world we live in, we all need the distraction. Enjoying the show? Like, rate, and subscribe. Hook up and connect with us on social media at SportsCastSA. We'll see you next time on Game On.